I know that the beginning tonight was a little disjointed, a little discombobulated. That's okay. That's that's the way I think sometimes. But I, I do want to, we try our best to tailor our Wednesday night to practical life application issues. And so uh, we've been here lately. I've been kind of, I did 10 keys to spiritual growth. I did 10 reasons to worship. And tonight I'm going to do 10 verses to live by. But in keeping with that theme, I thought I might do 10 verses that inspire us. And so I wanted your, your verses that, that inspire you. And I, I, some of them I may mention tonight in my 10 verses. But but uh, if I didn't, then I'll, I'll get to some of those. And then, of course, if you had a pressing Bible question that I could help with, then uh, you know you can ask me whether or not Adam had a belly button. And I'm just going to look at you and say, you know what, I'm going to study that and get back to you. But by having you write the question down and put it there in the offering pan, I get the chance to study it before I, I get put on the spot. So that's the reason we're doing it that way. I'll do my best to bring, I, I don't know that every single issue will come up, but I'll do my best to bring as much as I can in future Wednesday Night Life classes and address uh, these issues. And we may ask again. We may do this again. If this is successful, I may, I may do it another time. Amen? Amen. So tonight's lesson is this. Ten verses to live by. Ten, ten. Uh, listen, your Bible, I should have went in my Bible program and found out exactly how many verses are in the Bible. I didn't do that. Somebody Google that. How many verses are in the Bible? I, this is what I know. There's a whole bunch of them, folks. And every single one of them is powerful. Every single one of them. How many? I can't. 23,145 verses in the Old Testament. So we're getting close to 30,000. 31,102 verses. So I have a really difficult task choosing 10 out of 31,000. <laughs> that is not even a fraction. But these are 10 verses that matter to me that I feel like are, are verses to live your life by. And uh, every verse in the Word of God is powerful. Listen, His Word is life. Amen? His Word is life. You, you would never think about going, well, you would never think about going a week without something to eat. Now, you may do it in a fast, or you, but nobody, no sane person goes without carbs for months on end. Can't get an Amen? We 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 want food. We joy food. We need food. You you don't eat after a little while. Your body starts saying, "Hey, dude, you need some food." Well, the Bible, the Word of God, is food to your soul. And when you neglect that, you're neglecting the thing that your soul needs. And you your 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 spiritual man needs the Word of God to be strong. And and what we're going to find out is there's some principles in these ten. Just hold it. I'll get it after church. Some principles in these ten verses that will help you in your day to day living. So let's get into these now. I know that I I try to be done by eight o'clock on Wednesday nights, and I've set myself behind, but I think I can make it at least within at least an hour then or so. So <laughs> just bear with me. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. The first one of these are in no particular order. But Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Now, I could preach 
an entire sermon on any one of these verses. So I am not going to give you the full-length sermon treatment. I'm just going to pull some uh, some points I feel like are really important that, that you and I may need to hear on a regular basis in our life. And this, what this scripture tells me is that you are on God's mind. Amen? God said, I, I think about you. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Sometimes we get in places and, and, and times and situations that we think God doesn't even know where we are. We think God doesn't even know our zip code. We think God isn't, isn't aware of us, that he's given up on us, that he's ab- abandoned us. But I want you to know that even in your trial, even in your trouble, even in your darkest night, uh, he's thinking about you. Amen? That's a powerful scripture. And, and, and you've got to understand the context in which Jeremiah is writing. Because Jeremiah is writing about judgment. He's writing to people who have disobeyed God, and the judgment of God is coming upon them. And, 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 and chapters of judgment precede this verse. But then in the middle of all that judgment, uh, he says, I want you to know something. God loves you, and God's thinking about you, and God has plans for you, and, and he's got a perfect will for you. The devil will come along and try to tell you God has abandoned you, that, that you're, you're so far from him that, that you can't ever get back to him I want to tell you an absolute truth you may be far from him but he's never far from you he's thinking about you and his thoughts towards you the scripture tells us are thoughts of peace and not of evil peace oh the mercy of God we're in the middle of prophecies about judgment and even in their judgment, God said, I'm gonna, I have thoughts towards you of, of peace. I have thoughts towards you of reconciliation. I, I'm thinking about ways to bring you back. I'm thinking about ways to restore you. I'm thinking about ways to bless you. Right in the middle of your turmoil, right in the middle of your trouble, right in the middle of your trial, God said, I'm thinking about you and my thoughts towards you. The devil will tell you that God thinks evil. He's looking at you and going, you're just a bad person. You've just blown it. You've just messed up. That's not what the word said. God said, I'm thinking about you even when you messed up. And my thoughts are those of peace. He's thinking of a way to bring you back. He's thinking of a way to reconcile you to himself. I want you to know that when God thinks about you, the cross is always in view. He always thinks about you through the blood of Calvary. He always thinks not just about where you are, but where you can be. Not just about what you are, but what you can be. And that's what he says. I have thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. I want to tell somebody in this house tonight, and you're liable to hear this multiple times as these verses unfold. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your life. He has an expected end. Think about that. Sometimes we expect the worst. Sometimes we expect everything to fall apart. Sometimes we expect the whole world to come crashing down. But God has a perfect will for your life, and he expects it to come to pass. He has an expectation about the end of your life. 
I don't know about you, but that inspires me to say, Lord, whatever you got to do, line me up with your expected end. Line me up, because I believe he wants to bless you more than you've been blessed. I believe he wants to show you more than you've ever seen. I believe he wants to do for you more than you've ever seen done for you. I believe God has a good plan and a good purpose for your life. Amen. I believe sometimes our our lifestyle thwarts that and, and puts us in places where we're not aware of the call and the tug of God and we ignore that, that call that's calling us to step into my will and my purpose. And even in those places, God said, I'm thinking about you. I have plans of peace for you. I want to bring you to an expected end. Somebody needs to say, God, bring me there. Amen. The second verse we'll talk about tonight is Proverbs chapter 3. This is actually two verses. I could not bring myself to break them up. If I did, I probably would have used uh, the second one more than the first first one, but then I, I don't know that's true either. It's, it's a thought. The whole thing is a unity. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Trust in the Lord. I want you to understand that God's ways are beyond your ways. God's understanding is beyond your understanding. You're not always going to be able to see the end from where you are. You're not always going to be able to understand the trial, the trouble, the valley that you're in. The storm isn't always going to make sense to you. I say this often, but I believe it firmly. God does not owe you an explanation. Amen. God doesn't owe you an understanding of the way that he's called you to walk. But he, he, I want you to know that it is your call and mine to trust the Lord, amen, to believe that he has an expected end that he's bringing you and me to, that he is trustworthy, amen. All the wisdom in the world will never replace the need to trust in the Lord. Lean not to your own understanding. You can learn everything there is to learn. You can get every degree that you could ever hang on your wall. You can get doctor and PhD and all, all kinds of other titles behind your name and everybody can look at you and snap a salute when you walk by. But all of that, uh, all of that will never replace the need to put blind faith in God. To be willing to say, Lord, I'll step out when I don't understand. I'm going to follow you when it doesn't make sense. And that's what he says. The second part of that, the, the sixth verse. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. This, this is about more than just guidance. He will direct our paths. But it, it means, first of all, that in every situation, every circumstance, I need to be aware of God. Amen. I need to be aware that he has. Sometimes you're, the sky's falling, the whole world's falling apart, and you're not even aware of the fact that God's got you right in the palm of his hand. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forsaken you. He isn't asleep. Amen. Your, your dilemma didn't catch him by surprise. Amen. Acknowledge him. Listen, it'll do your heart good to acknowledge the Lord in the middle of your trial. Lord, I, I may not can feel you. I may not can see you. I may not be able to see your hand at work, 
but I do understand that you're right here with me. I do understand you're walking this road with me. I do understand I'm not taking this thing on alone. Uh, amen. You're right there with me. And then it says, if you acknowledge him, he will direct your paths. That's more than just he, he's going to guide you. That's more than just he's going to tell you which way to go. That means he's going to remove the obstacles. Amen. He's going to make it possible for you to walk in the way that he has called you to walk. God's not going to put before you a path or a calling that is impossible for you to achieve. Amen. There's a reason why the, the, we use a lot the text from the Old, Old Testament that talks about the cities of refuge and it says make the high places low. Make the low places high. Straighten out the crooked places. Make it easy for someone to get to that place of refuge. Amen. God's going to make it easy for you to walk in his will. Now you'll have to trust him. You got to trust in the Lord. That's the beginning of this. You, you can't lean to your understanding because, it, it, listen, it's not going to make sense to human understanding. But if you trust in the Lord and acknowledge him, he'll make a way to bring you through. Amen? Let's try another verse. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. This is one of my favorites. But ye shall receive power. Everybody say power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. Unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Is there any greater promise in all the word of God than this? Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is uh, come upon you. Amen. The Holy Ghost gives us. The devil's been telling you you don't have any power. The devil's been telling you you don't have any authority. Amen. You once were subject to sin. Uh, you once were subject to the devices uh, of the enemy. Amen. But we're no longer ignorant uh, of his devices. And we have been empowered. We received power when we received the Holy Ghost. Amen. So what's that mean? What's that look like? Well, consider the first century application of this promise. After the crucifixion, after Jesus is dead, laid in a borrowed tomb, the disciples are, Brother Donnie, they're broken. They're dejected. They're, their master's dead. I mean, they, they've given up everything to follow Jesus. They left behind their livelihoods. They left behind their jobs. They left behind everything of value so that they could follow Jesus. And now Jesus is dead. And not only is Jesus dead, but their number is diminished. They were 12. Then Judas took his own life. And Peter has no longer counts himself among their number. He's isolated himself separated himself and the, that band of 10 disciples they are frightened they're waiting any moment for roman soldiers to kick the door down they're they're weary they're they're timid they're confused they they don't understand it doesn't make sense and, and they are probably the most least likely group of men ever to have an impact on the world but after the day of pentecost 
after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. They went forth from that upper room boldly preaching the word of God. Uh, those same men that were cowering uh, in shadows, uh, hoping Roman soldiers uh, wouldn't come for them, uh, would stand before kings and courts uh, and declare who Jesus is uh, and what he came to do. Amen. They turned the world upside down. They said of them, these are those which have turned the world upside down. Why? Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Amen. I want you to know there's a very real power in the Holy Ghost. You need to be reminded of that every now and then. Amen. There's a very real authority that comes along with the Holy Ghost. We sing it when, it, when I was a kid. It's real. It's real. I know it's real. I'm not a singer. I'm a preacher. Now you know why. Amen. But it's a Holy Ghost power. I know. I know it. I felt it from the top of my head uh, to the sole of my feet. Amen. I, I've been there whenever the Holy Ghost rose up inside of me. Amen. And spiritual boldness uh, got a hold of me and stood me up where I, I never intended really to open my mouth. I'm the kind of guy that'll avoid conflict. Uh, amen. But all of a sudden, uh, amen, the power of God comes over you and that power stands you up uh, and begins to speak through you. I know what that is. It's real. Amen. Amen. You need to make up your mind. Somebody need to tell yourself you got power. Come on. The old song said, ain't no devil in hell going to walk on the Jesus in me. Come on. I got power. Amen. I got power. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. This is probably on that list of favorite scriptures that's going around the room. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. They that, say it with me, wait. They that wait. Let me tell you why this is one of those verses you ought to learn to live by. Because we fail at waiting. The waiting times are so long. There's that, my wife talks about the space in between. You know, she's good at point A and she's good at point B, but it's the, the space in between that tries your faith. God gives you a promise, and until the promise is fulfilled, the Bible said that promise tries you. It's that waiting where we often struggle, that, that time between prayer and the answer, between repentance and that peace being restored, between, between the work and the end result, between sowing time and reaping time. We, we want it all to happen all together, amen? But it doesn't, and we're stuck having to wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and how quickly we grow weary with waiting. But here's the promise. There's strength in your waiting. You, you don't realize it. You don't understand it. But God doesn't have you wait in vain. There's always a purpose 
in the waiting. And the scripture said, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Now watch how the verbiage changes. We go from waiting to rapid action. All of a sudden, we have wings to soar with. All of a sudden, we're running the race swiftly and not even growing weary. All of a sudden, we're walking boldly and no longer fainting for fear. Amen. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Uh, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint, all because they learned how to wait. That's the benefit of waiting. When the fullness of God's time came, he sent forth his son born of a woman to redeem us. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, there came a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. In the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. I want to tell somebody in this place, you may not have arrived yet where God is taking you. But if you just learn to wait, there's strength in your waiting. There's blessing in your waiting. And in his time, he's going to make you soar with the eagles. In his time, he's going to make you run with the swiftest. In his time, he's going to give you the boldness to walk with authority, but first you have to learn to wait. Amen? Verse number 5, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. So he says, have I not commanded thee, be strong. That, that phrase, be strong, doesn't have anything to do with weightlifting. It doesn't have anything to do with going to the gym. It does not mean to be strong in body. It means to be strong in mind, to be strong in spirit. Spirit, to be strong in your faith. Uh, amen. Whenever you're weary, amen, be strong. Uh, whenever you're, you're tried and challenged, uh, be strong in your faith. Faith in what? Faith in the plan of God. Trust the process. Amen. God has a purpose. God has a plan. There's a divine design to your life. Trust it. God knows what he's doing. Let him be God because he is with you. That's what it goes on and tells us. God is with you whithersoever thou goest, wherever you are, wherever you find yourself. This is, starts with a command to be strong and ends with the inspiration to make you strong. Starts by telling you you need to be strong and then tells you why and how because God's with you. And he's going to take care of you. And wherever you go, somebody needs to, I know where my help comes from. Amen. Lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my Redeemer. I know where my help comes from. Amen. He is the maker of heaven and earth. And he watches over me. Another verse to live by is James chapter 2. And verse 26, and again, some of these verses I could give all night long, it wouldn't be enough. 
says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. I'm not going to say a whole lot here because I hammer on this quite a bit, but the men and women of faith named in Hebrews chapter 11 were people of action. God spoke and they obeyed. God said and they did. Let me tell you what faith is not. Faith is not believing in spite of the evidence. That's what we think faith is. We, we think faith is believing in spite of, of the evidence. Would you agree that that would have been a good definition? That's not what faith is. Let me tell you what faith is. Faith is obeying in spite of the consequences. Faith is obedient. It's obeying God in spite of everything that's going on in your life, in spite of what it may cost you. There's an ad campaign going on. about surrendering it all for something that really matters. I want to tell you something. You'll never go wrong obeying, obeying God. Amen. When it costs you everything, it's going to be a small price to pay for the blessing of His presence. Amen. I better stop before I get in trouble. The seventh verse, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. Amen. Peter said, cast all your cares on him. I need to burst somebody's bubble, bubble for just a minute, and, and I'll, I'll explain it. Your cares are not his cares. Cast all your cares on him. You say, well, Pastor, he cares about what I care about. Yeah, he does. But he's not worried about what you're worried about. The things that you're so concerned about don't concern him at all. He's got an answer. He has the power. Cast your cares on him. Cast your worries on him because they don't worry him. Amen? Cast all of your frustrations on him because they ain't frustrating him, honey. Cast all of your confusion on him because he ain't confused. Amen? God cares about you. He, he's watching over you. Are there any sweeter words in all the Bible than, for he careth for you? I want to tell you something. God's not just an innocent bystander in your life. He's not just a spectator watching to see how things play out. He's fully invested in you. He died for you. He bought you with a price. He, he cares about you. He has a vested interest in seeing that you make heaven your home. Amen? It matters to him. Here's the secret to this, this verse. You're not just relying on the benevolence of God. You're, you're not just a stranger begging on the fringes of God's conscience when you cast your cares on Him. You are His child, and He loves you, and He cares about you, and He's watching over you. Amen. It's not like you're going, but, you know, 
I know how it feels to walk into the banker's office and ask for more money than you think he's going to give you. Yeah, I know that nervous, sick in the pit of your stomach feeling. You shouldn't have that when you cast your cares on God. He cares about you. Amen. You are his child, bought with his blood, called by his name. Amen. Amen. Verse 8, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Listen, it is, I got 15 minutes and three verses. I am right on target. Somebody say, praise the Lord. God bless the preacher. Somebody ought to feed him in a little while. Where's my mother-in-law? Amen. Colossians 3 and 2. Set your affection not... Let me try that again. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So don't let yourself become attached to that which is not worthy of your affection. Boy, did I ever talk about that Sunday. Amen. Don't let yourself become attached to that which is unworthy of your care and your consideration. Don't let yourself become attached to that which is going to separate you from God. Amen. We spend entirely too much of our lives concerned about things that have only temporary fleeting value. But it doesn't have to be that way. This scripture tells us we have a choice. We can choose to set our affections on heavenly things. You need to remember that. These are verses to live by. Think about it. Set your affections on things above not on the things of this earth. Whenever you decide, you make up your mind, you walk out of this house, maybe on a Sunday morning after I preached like I did this past Sunday, or, or maybe even tonight after the, the little quirky kind of lesson I've done tonight, maybe you walk out of here and you say, you know what, I, I've made up my mind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think on heavenly things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to dwell on the things of God. I'm going to cherish those things which are precious to the Word of God, amen, precious to my soul. I, I'm not going to set my affection on things that are going to, Come in between me and God. When you make that decision, I have to tell you, it's never easy. It's always easier to live shallow lives. It's always easier to be shallow in your thinking. I'm teaching a class at Urshan College, and it's a communication studies class, and we're introducing the broad expanse of communication, the different fields of communication studies. And this week my lesson uh, I talked about new media which is social media the, what 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 academics call new media is all the forms of uh, user generated media and in in the context of new media we talked about some of the benefits and there are some real benefits those of you that, that use uh, social media you recognize there's a, there's a networking benefit there's some social capital that you gain. There, there's, there's some real benefits, but there are also some real detriments to social networking. And one of those detriments, uh, and it, it's not just a social networking problem, it's, a, it's kind of an Internet problem at large, but one of the detriments that scientists are reckoning to, recognizing today is this, what they call shallowness of thinking. We have the vast expanse of all the knowledge that humanity has amassed over all the ages. 
I mean, there's more knowledge in Wikipedia than was in the great library at Alexandria. We have all of that at our disposal, and we skim it. It's always a surface connection. You want to know how many verses in the Bible? Just Google it, and then you're done. Don't ever think another thing about it. It leads to a shallow way of interfacing with truth. It leads to a shallow way of interfacing with life. It leads to a shallow way of interfacing with one another. Uh, some of my relationships, I like them nice and tidy over social media instead of big and sloppy in person. Amen? It's just, it's shallow. And if you're not careful, not, not my, uh, that's a whole other lesson. You want to hear more about that? Come talk to me later. But, but if we're not careful, we become that kind of shallow about the church and about the things of God, about prayer and fasting, reading the Word of God and, and studying the Word of God and, and being faithful to the house of God. And, and we boil Christianity down to Wednesday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday night, and that's all it is, that's all we think about, and we have a shallow interface with the church with our believers, fellow believers, with our community at large, if we're not careful, we get so caught up on what's going on down here that we fail to recognize there are things a whole lot more valuable in our lives. Amen? I'm going to do my best to get off of that soapbox. I hope I hadn't confused anybody. But the Scripture said it best, where your treasure is, where your heart is where your treasure is that's where your heart is you know it would be a good life choice to make up your mind right now tonight right here this week I'm going to focus on becoming deeper in my relationship with God uh, you know I, I like to lose weight I, my wife and I talk about it often. I, I, you know, Brother Donnie, I could lose 100 pounds and not, never even miss it. Maybe not quite 100, but I, I'd like to lose weight. The problem with losing weight for me is it's, a, it's like an all-or-nothing thing. I'm all in, and then I'm not in at all. Yeah. It's a little here. I don't get the whole little here, little there thing. It's It's big steps. The problem we have in deepening our relationship with God is we approach it the same way. We walk out of a convicting service and we say, you know what? I'm going to pray three hours today, tomorrow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the whole Bible in 90 days. Been there, done that. It's a challenge. It takes you about an hour and a half, two hours a day. But I'm going to tell you something. Deepening your relationship with God is not about those big, bold commitments that you can't keep up over time. It's about the small steps of saying, you know what, I, I'm going to acknowledge Him. Every single morning when I get up, I'm going to acknowledge the Lord in my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make Him. I make priorities for other things. I make priorities for the entertainment in my life. I make priorities for my job. I, I'm going to be there at a certain time because I honor that paycheck. Amen? They'd let me come in an hour late every day and still get the same page. I probably would do it, but they won't, so I'm not. Amen? But when it comes to our walk with God, 
you know, there's there's no there's no monitor standing around saying, well, I'm holding back your pay. Make the commitment here tonight. In whatever way, and I, and I started all that to say, you don't have to say big spectrum. You don't have to say, I'm going to fix everything all at once. Find one doable thing tonight that you can commit to and say, I'm going to get closer to God. Whatever that one thing is. Beyond what you're already doing, because there's nobody in this room that is as close to God as they could be. I know that because you're still here. And I have Enoch for an example. Amen? So, one thing. What can you do right now to start deepening your walk with God? You'll be blessed for it. I don't know how I got off on that, but let's move to the ninth, move to the ninth verse. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, We are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Say it with me. We are his workmanship. I have several handcrafted items. As a matter of fact, Brother Randy crafted me a, a beautiful knife this year. And Brother, Dobbs, Brother Hobbs, Doug Hobbs, crafted me a beautiful leather sheath for it. And I will carry those things to the woods this weekend with pride. The bow I have in my hands is a, a long bow that was handmade, has my name on it, was made for me, for my drawing. There's something special about handmade things. You, you agree? You know, I have shot factory bows, and then I've shot custom bows. And I'm going to tell you something right now. There is a tremendous, dramatic difference. Uh, you, you can hear, you know, the, the naysayers always say, you know, all that expensive stuff, it's just you're paying for a brand, you're paying. No, when you're paying for something that's handcrafted, you're paying for something special. This is what I want you to understand. You are handcrafted by God. You are his workmanship. Think about that. Amen. He, he has endowed you with value. Amen. It matters. You were made by him. He has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for your life. You were created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's the fruit of a life that surrenders to him. It produces good works. The old saying in the Bible is you'll know a tree. How? By its fruit. Honey, I hate to break it to you, but it produces apples. It's not a pear tree. Amen? Good fruit comes from a life that is surrendered to God. And you can tell who's surrendered to God and who's not, not by whether or not they go to church, not by how they dress, not by all, all those things may be factors. All those things may demonstrate the state of a heart. But the fruit you produce is how I know what kind of tree you are. Amen. So we are ordained, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. God has ordained the good works that he has prepared for you. He has, he has prepared in advance for you to do good things. He has prepared in advance for your life to make a difference. He has 
this expected end. I guess this is the theme that's run from the first verse now all the way down to the second to last verse. Amen. God has an expected end for you. He has a plan. He has ordained that you should walk in it. Amen. So because we're his workmanship, we ought to live according to his purpose. We ought to walk in the way that he's called us to walk. We ought to acknowledge him and give care to developing a deeper relationship with him. Amen. One more verse of scripture, and it's going to seem kind of odd, but 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Let no man despise thy youth. I'm going to stop right there and explain. Uh, there, about half this room just said, well, that one doesn't apply to me, and I'm in that group. Amen. What he's what the apostle is saying is don't don't let anybody despise you because of your youth. And while you may not be despised because of your youth, you may feel like you're disqualified for other reasons. Uh, it could just as easily say don't let anybody. He's speaking to Timothy. His reason he's talking about youth, but it could be easily be that uh, don't let anybody despise you for your social status. Don't let anybody despise you for your economic level. Don't let anybody despise you for your lack of education. Don't let anybody despise you because of your past that is behind you. Amen. You need to understand God doesn't calculate value like men calculate value. Amen. So let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Be an example of the believers. Amen. That's a, that's a powerful commandment. Live every day of your life with the understanding that you are supposed to be an example of what it means to be a believer. Whatever men say about you, be an example. Whatever they do to you, be an example. Whatever they think of you, be an example. No matter if you're ridiculed or mocked or if they despise you, be an example. Boy, that's the highest calling for every Christian. Be an example. How I live is not determined by how I'm treated. Amen? How I live is not determined by where I live. How I live is not determined by the culture or by the circumstances that surround me. Amen? I live like I live because I'm called to be an example of what it means to be separated in the Lord, of what it means to be a servant of God, of what it means to be called and anointed by Him for His purpose. Amen? The Bible doesn't say treat others as they've treated you. That's what we want to do. We want to say fair turn about, eye for an eye. It's not, that's not what the book says. The book says treat others the way you want to be treated. And what it means is treat them right, no matter what they deserve. Treat them right, no matter what they did to you. Be an example. This is probably the hardest thing, but also the most vital thing to being a Christian. Remembering that every single day, in every single moment, I am an example of what it means 
to belong to Jesus. He gives certain uh, situations. He says, be an example in word. You ought to guard what you say. Amen? You ought to remember that you represent the kingdom of God. There are some things that should never come out of your mouth. Amen? There are some things that you shouldn't engage in in speech. You, there, there are certain jokes you just shouldn't tell. Amen? Be an example in word. Be an example in conversation. Now, to our Western mind, sounds like he just stuttered and said the same thing over again. But that word conversation in the King James English, back in the 16th century when Shakespeare was still writing his plays, that word meant conduct. Had to do with all of the activities of your life. And what he's saying when he says, be an example in your conduct, he's saying, don't be a hypocrite. Amen. Be what you say you are. Live like you belong to Jesus. Be an example in your conduct. Then he says, be an example in charity. Charity is love. And what he, again, I say this often behind the pulpit love like you've been loved. Amen. You, God loved you when you didn't deserve it. You ought to love with the same measure. Be an example in the way you love. This is what Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. How? Because of your love, one for another. And he says, be an example in faith. Faith and love are often linked together in the Word of God. And faith always leads to faithfulness. Let your faithfulness be an example. Amen? And finally, he says, be an example in purity. Listen, we live in an evil world. Don't walk like other men walk. Don't live like the world lives. Be pure. Be holy. Be righteous. Some places you shouldn't go. Not because the church said it's wrong, but because your spirit says it's wrong. You've been filled with the Holy Ghost for a reason. Amen? Some things you shouldn't do, some things you shouldn't wear, some, some things you shouldn't be involved in, not because the preacher said it's wrong, but because it ought to convict you just to be a part of it. Be pure, because you're supposed to be an example of what it means to be a believer. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? I have gotten done on time, 8.04 kind of started off a little moving along quite well and then kind of got a little deep and challenging there at the end I hope to goodness that you'll take these 10 verses maybe you wrote them down uh, they'd be good verses to memorize maybe take and make them put them on post-it notes and put them around your bathroom where you're getting dressed in the morning to go to work remind yourself be an example Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways. Amen. Remember that you have power. Amen. They're good verses to live by. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. And Lord, as we get ready to go from this place, I'm asking, Lord, that you'd keep your hand upon us. Lord, that you would watch over us. That you'd help us, Lord, to allow the word of God that's been preached in this place for the last few minutes, Lord. Let it impact us and let it challenge us and let it change us, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus Christ. Would you say amen? Amen. Now listen up. The chief has something to say.